0: Thank you for listening to Depictions Media Radio.
3: Um, Hello to everyone. Welcome to WHO COVID 19 press conference. Sorry for uh, delay we had today. Uh, we will start uh, uh, with the opening remarks uh, from Dr. Tedros with us today in the room beside Dr. Tedros is Dr. Maria Van Kerkhove, technical lead on COVID-19, Dr. Mike Ryan, mm-hmm. Executive Director of WHO Program for Emergencies, uh, Dr. Angela Simao, Assistant Director General Access to Medicines and Health Products. Uh, Dr. Srimia Swaminathan, our Chief Scientist. With us also today is Dr. Jawad Mahjur, who is Assistant Director General Emergency Preparedness and International Health Regulations. Uh, we also have uh, online uh, Dr. Anne Lindstrand, Unit Head Essential Program of Immunization. Uh, simultaneous translation is provided in six UN languages, Portuguese and Hindi, and journalists may ask uh, Question in those languages. With this, I'll give the floor immediately to Dr. Tedros. Thank you. Thank you,
1: Tariq. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Last week marked the fourth consecutive week of increasing cases of COVID 19 globally, with increases recorded in all but one of WHO's six regions. And after 10 weeks of declines, deaths are increasing again. We continue to hear reports from all regions of the world about hospitals reaching capacity. The Delta variant is ripping around the world at a scorching pace, driving a new spike in cases and death. Not everywhere is taking the same hit though. We're in the midst of a growing, two-track pandemic where the haves and have-nots within and between countries are increasingly divergent. In places with high vaccination coverage, Delta is spreading quickly, especially infecting unprotected and vulnerable people and steadily putting pressure back on health systems. For health workers that have been in a titanic battle for more than a year and have record waiting lists to attend to, increased hospitalizations at at any level is a challenge to them and their patients and to the overall capacity of the health system. As countries lift public health and social measures, they must consider the impact on health workers and health systems. In countries with low vaccine coverage, The situation is particularly bad. Delta and other highly transmissible variants are driving catastrophic waves of cases, which are translating into high numbers of hospitalizations and death. Even countries that successfully managed to ward off the early waves of the virus through public health measures alone are now in the midst of devastating outbreaks, particularly In low-income countries, exhausted health workers are battling to save lives in the midst of shortages of personal protective equipment, oxygen, and treatments. Vaccines have never been the way out of this crisis on their own, but this current wave is demonstrating again just what a powerful tool they are to battle back against this virus. Delta is now in more than 104 countries and we expect it to soon be the dominant COVID-19 strain circulating worldwide. The world is watching in real time as the COVID-19 virus continues to change and become more transmissible. My message today is that we are experiencing a worsening public health emergency that further threatens lives, livelihoods, and a sound global economic recovery. It is definitely worse in places that have very few vaccines, but the pandemic is not over anywhere. The current collective strategy reminds me of a firefighting team taking on a forest blaze. Hosing down part of it might reduce the flames in one area, but while it's smoldering anywhere, sparks will eventually travel and grow again into a roaring furnace the world should battle together to put out this pandemic inferno everywhere the global gap in vaccine supply is hugely uneven and inequitable some countries and regions are actually ordering millions of booster doses before other countries have had supplies to vaccinate their health workers and most vulnerable i ask you Who would put firefighters on the front line without protection? Who are most the vulnerable to the flames of this pandemic? The health workers on the front lines, older persons and the vulnerable. We're making conscious choices right now not to protect those most in need, our own firefighters. Currently, data shows us that vaccination offers long-lasting immunity against severe and deadly COVID-19. The priority now must be to vaccinate those who have received no doses and protection. Instead of Moderna and Pfizer prioritizing the supply of vaccines as boosters to countries whose populations have relatively high coverage, we need them to go all out to channel supply to COVAX, the Africa Vaccine Acquisition Task Team, and low- and middle-income countries which have very low vaccine coverage. Over the weekend, the G20 finance ministers recognized the importance of funding the Act Accelerator so that the world can ensure tests, treatments, and vaccines are distributed equitably, and I hope this translates quickly to filling the 16 billion US dollars funding gap. Tens of millions of vaccine dose donations are starting to come through, but we need more and we need them faster. We need an all-out, no-regrets, accelerated building up of new vaccine manufacturing hubs. For that to happen, quicker pharmaceutical companies must share their licenses know-how, and technology. AstraZeneca has led on licensing their vaccines around the world to increase vaccine capacity quickly. As well as Europe, India, and South Korea, I am pleased to announce two more manufacturing sites in Japan and Australia which have now received a WHO emergency use listing bringing AstraZeneca's EULs to five. This gives the green light for COVAX to buy vaccines from these additional facilities and enables countries to expedite their own regulatory approval to import and roll out vaccines. We need other manufacturers to follow this example. Thousands of people are still dying every day, and that deserves urgent action. I will discuss the worsening situation on Wednesday at the IHR Emergency Committee meeting. And next week, the World Health Organization and World Trade Organization will bring together leaders of the public and private sectors to address the shortage and inequity of vaccines and other health tools. No more talk about vaccinating low-income countries in 2023-2024. This is no time for a lull. We want to see progress being built on and the surge of action to scale up the supply and sharing of life saving health tools. Tarik, back to you. Uh,
3: many thanks, Dr. Tedros. We will start with questions. Uh, we have first uh, Laura Spinney, uh, Guardian Observer. Laura?
4: Hello. Um, I wanted to ask, there are reports of um, people being unable to get vaccine passports in various countries uh, for, for various different reasons, even though they have received approved vaccines. Um, I wondered if you were aware of this, whether you had some information to shed on the scale of the problem, and um, whether you were thinking about solutions such as, for example, an overall certificate that works everywhere uh, in the mould of uh, the certificate for yellow fever. Thank you.
5: Let me start, Laura, and then colleagues can complement. I'm going to start talking about the, the one that we we are hearing more about in the media, which is the EU digital certificate, which is a it's a certificate designed to to allow the transit of people across Europe, uh, the European Union countries, and where it it states that it's a, it's a. It's focusing on the vaccines that were approved by the, the European Medicines Agency, and we understand that the, the recommendation from the European Parliament is that countries consider the, the vaccines that are uh, emergency use listed by WHO for the entry in the Schengen space. So this is the one case that we are aware of. We are working with European authorities in terms of uh, of the of. Uh, of reinforcing the, the the processes that are that are taken for the the, the listing of vaccines by WHO and in, in and in ensuring that the recommendations from the European Parliament that countries should consider uh, a strong recommendation that countries should. Uh, us uh, accept WHO's uh, vaccines that were emergency used by WHO. But there are issues that you are asking, which are on the broader certificate. So I don't know which of the colleagues will come.
6: So maybe just to add, um, WHO did commit to and is in the process of coming out with the um, the standards, the guidelines for the digital certification of vaccination. That is something that is good to have a digital certification. And we want to make sure that these certificates are interoperable between countries across national borders. It's in the final stages. It's almost ready now. And I think in the next week to 10 days, we will be able to publish these guidelines so that countries can adopt these standards when they develop their own uh, uh, certification of vaccination. Uh, But having said that, WHO does not promote the use of vaccine passports, Uh, vaccination cannot be a precondition or should not be a precondition for travel or entry because it's essentially then a very inequitable situation. We've just heard the DG talk about the fact that we have so little access to vaccines in so many parts of the world. And so this is not, it should not be made a precondition. Uh, But I think there are uh, also guidance on how countries can can adapt their uh, quarantine procedures and other procedures if people are vaccinated versus those who have an RT-PCR negative uh, certification and so on. So so the bottom line is, yes, we will have the guidelines very soon on the standards for the digital certification. And we encourage all countries to adopt those because it's good to have an interoperable certificate. And indeed, the yellow fever uh, vaccination card that was mentioned uh, is is something that all countries around the world have used uh, for many years.
2: Thank
7: you. Yeah, thank you, thank you for, this, for this very important question. Just to add on what Sumia said that, uh, of course, WHO doesn't recommend to use vaccine now for travel. And we asked this question to the IHR Review, uh, Emergency Committee last time. And uh, the same question will be asked in two days in the meeting of the Emergency Committee, and the Emergency Committee think uh, uh, that using vaccine at that time will be limit of travel because of the availability of the vaccine. And and, uh, comparing to the yellow fever uh, vaccine, uh, I think we are in two different uh, situations. The yellow fever concerns few countries, and the vaccine is available and uh, could be administered to all people who travel to this few vaccines. Now we are speaking about situation where all countries of the world are, are concerned and the vaccine is not available for, 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 for travel. And uh, again, the emergency committee, as I said, will discuss this issue and uh, come up with the advice on this uh, specific question.
8: I just add that we have encouraged countries that want to, that they may use the International Certificate for Vaccination and Prophylaxis, which is the yellow book that uh, you referred to to record uh, vaccination, Um, uh, again, uh, that requires other countries to recognize that certificate of vaccination, and uh, and that is uh, the other problem that you've raised. Countries are not necessarily going to recognize a certificate of vaccination from another country without specific validation, and secondly, may differentially recognize different vaccinations, which is another policy issue entirely, uh, and one that is very, very difficult to deal with So there are many, many layers inside the the question that you ask. But uh, from the perspective of WHO, we are working to increase the distribution of the paper versions of our uh, International Certificate of Vaccination Prophylaxis and also developing a a digital wallet that uh, could be used for the same purpose, and as Sumia has said, issuing much more detailed data standards for countries to, to generate their own digital vaccination certificates. But that does not get around the policy issues around which vaccines are recognized within that system that that is essentially an international policy issue between countries
3: thank you all Uh, next question Financial Times Oliver Barnes Oliver
0: hello thank you very much for taking my question Um, uh, dr. van Kirk have tweeted during the um, euros final yesterday um, that took place at Wembley that the scenes were quote devastating Um, I wonder um, if Dr. Van Karkov, Dr. Tedros, and anyone else who would be interested in um, answering the, the question, what what we will think about the Euros final and the way we approached it in the months to come? Will it be remembered as a mistake, perhaps, that it was held and held in that manner?
2: So, thanks very much for the question. I'll start, and I'm sure others will want to come in on this. So, um, you know, look, we're in a situation right now that the dg has outlined um, as increasing transmission across the world we have increasing transmission in five of six of the who regions if you look at the national level and the sub-national level we are seeing increases in far too many countries which uh, is driven by four factors which many of us up here have been talking about for many months um, first are these virus variants these variants that have increased transmissibility. The Delta variant has even more increased transmissibility than the Alpha variant, which was first detected around uh, December, January 2020, 2021. Uh, With increased transmissibility, you will put more burden on the healthcare system in the context of a highly susceptible global population because of low vaccination coverage, because of the uneven use of vaccines, uh, the inequitable distribution of vaccines worldwide, and the low levels of seroprevalence based on natural infection around the world, largely in many countries who put in very strong measures to keep their populations protected. We also see this in the context of increased social mixing what I was referring to was the increased social mixing in the context of the relaxation of public health and social measures it wasn't necessarily related to the event itself. We know many gatherings can be held very safely WHO has outlined a risk-based approach for small gatherings as well as large mass gatherings, which take into account uh, a risk assessment, looking at risk mitigation measures, looking at risk communication, having plans in place. And in many situations, these events can take place safely. The side events, the fan zones, the coming together um, in uh, populations that are not well vaccinated, um, without uh, interventions in place, with the Delta variant can fuel spread. So in that context, this is the concern that I have, that we have, in looking at this. Um, Again, many gatherings can take place very safely and have taken place very safely with these risk mitigation measures in place. We're asking everybody um, to make good choices, um, to take a risk-based approach in what you do every single day, because you need to reduce your level or your possibility of exposure these are individual level measures. These are avoiding crowded spaces. These are getting a vaccine when it's offered to you. Um, and I will just lastly say, look, I, I completely understand wanting to get back to normal, completely understand that, that need to socialize, um, but we need to be cautious and we need to make sure everywhere, uh, not just in Europe, but everywhere around the world, that our decisions and our choices matter. So we want to make sure that we put uh, interventions in place that keep us safe and really take us towards that step of ending this pandemic and not uh, um, allowing it to spread even further.
8: Yeah, may I just, uh, just add that Maria said it, it It really is about ensuring that risk management in relation to any gathering, it doesn't matter if the gathering is a wedding or all the way through to something as large uh, as 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 the Hajj or international events like that. It's it's really about looking as to whether a, a given event can be managed in a safe. Uh, in a safe fashion and that really depends on the background epidemiology that depends on the background level of vaccination and the people attending the event that depends on the testing regimes or the Used in order to get into an event. It depends on the level of spacing at the event. It depends on whether or not there are uh, Events associated with the event. Uh, there are so many different factors So it's very difficult to make a judgment on one event over the other. I think um, Uh, I don't know Maria's mind, but certainly when we look uh, and observe literally hundreds of thousands of people uh, engaged in in what is a very joyous, although uh, in the end disappointing for for half of the fans, it's great to be able to celebrate with people who are having a good time. But it's also important that we recognise that where the virus is present, those kinds of activities can spread the virus unless all of the people in those environments are vaccinated they're all pre-tested in other words unless they're a very low risk population those sorts of activities can actually spread disease so again it is driven by the context it's driven by the background level of of, of, of infection it's driven by who those pop what that population represents a vaccinated population a tested population uh, but there's no question globally if you put hundreds of thousands of younger people together who are not protected by vaccination, who are not tested, uh, and uh, are in a situation of increasing community transmission, such processes will drive transmission. We've seen it. That's not not a a prediction, that's just a statement of fact. Uh, And in that situation, uh, we trust that the risk management measures that were put in place by Euros throughout the course, or be it at Wimbledon, or be it in any other situation, that the organisation, people organising such events are aware of the risks are aware of how to manage those risks and implement public health social measures risk management measures that result in the lowest possible risk of mass gathering events resulting in super spreading events uh, and I think uh, we all want to see that and at the same time we all want to see people having fun we all want to see normal life return the last thing I will say is when we look to, and if we celebrate if, in one sense with, uh, with people in the UK, in Europe, in a sense of having uh, that ability at least to, to think they can come together based on some level of vaccination that underpins this, look at what the rest of the world is looking at hundreds of millions of people in the Southern Hemisphere, hundreds of millions of people in developing countries are looking on as their health systems collapse and they're going, wow, they're having a lot of fun in Europe. Life is normal there. Uh, And it's it's more difficult for governments in those situations in those countries to continue to implement public health and social measures because their populations are looking at this and saying, hey, it's all over in Europe. I mean, maybe it's all over here. So there are also issues around the imagery we create around mass gathering events and, and a sense that in some senses it's over in Europe, it's all done here, we've got everybody vaccinated, it's back to normal life. Well, the reality is for most of the world, it's not back to normal life for most of the world, we are right in the throat of this pandemic. And it's really important that we show that solidarity. So I I think uh, there are many reasons uh, why Maria may say or tweet the things uh, she tweets, but they they come from the heart, and they are based on science, and they are based on on the factual outcomes of, of any activities, especially if those activities are poorly planned or poorly managed. Thank you, Dr. Ryan.
3: Uh, next question, Belisa Godinho from Portugal, W Magazine. Belissa
2: Hello. A new COVID
4: vaccine is being developed in Portugal. How does WHO see national vaccine production in the fight against the pandemic? Will uh, it be an effective alternative to stop the disease and its spreads around the world? Thank you.
3: Belisa, the line is not very good. I'm not sure we understood this question. Can you just speak a little bit louder and we try one more time?
4: Okay, thank you very much. A new COVID vaccine is being developed in Portugal. How does WHO see national vaccine production in the fight against the pandemic? And you it be an effective alternative to stop the disease and its spread around the world? Thank you.
6: Yeah, thanks for that question, Melissa. We are very happy and encouraged to see uh, so many vaccine development efforts across the world, including the one in Portugal that you mentioned. We have something like um, 105 Candidates still in the clinical development phase. And I think about two dozen of those are in phase three um, studies. So this is actually very good news because for a number of reasons, one is that we, we should explore all options to find even better vaccines than what we have now. They may be better in terms of storage conditions. They may be better in terms of a single dose. They may be better in terms of how you administer them, you know, through nasal, or oral route which makes it much easier than an injectable they may give you longer lasting immunity so so we should continue the r d and it's good that countries are still and companies are, uh, uh, are still very much in that uh, mode of developing new vaccines and we must encourage the clinical trials to to be uh, completed but the question that you ask is can only be answered when we have seen data from the clinical trials because We cannot uh, guess as to which vaccines are going to be safe and effective. They must complete the clinical trials and uh, as of now we still need clinical effectiveness data, clinical efficacy data and safety data on the new vaccines that are being developed. So the, the other reason to have more vaccines is that we need more supplies globally to cover the world's population as quickly as possible. And this is what we've been constantly uh, underlining, the fact that we do not have enough vaccines going to the regions of the world where people are still waiting. The frontline workers are waiting to be vaccinated. So for those reasons, uh, it, it's good. We, we encourage this, we're tracking it. We have a landscape a vaccine landscape tracker on the website in the R&D uh, section of our website that tracks it and you can go there anytime and, and see what's going on. Um, and we, we await the results of, uh, of these clinical trials. Thank you.
3: Thank you, Dr. Swaminathan. Helen Branswell from STAT. Helen.
4: Thank you very much for taking my question. Um, I wanted to pick up on something that the Director General said in his opening remarks about um, the vaccine manufacturer, some of the vaccine manufacturers trying to sell boosters while many countries have had no access whatsoever to uh, vaccine. Um, has the WHO seen any data from Pfizer or any of the other manufacturers that would suggest to WHO that there is a serious decline in uh, efficacy after six months that would require um, a booster shot and um, what would trigger the need for a booster shot? Would simply an increase in mild cases be enough, or would you need to see an increase in severe cases? Thank you.
3: Thank you, Helen. Uh, maybe we can call on uh, Anne Lindstrand, who is online, to to address this question. Anne. Um, yes. Thank
4: you for your question. Um, I um, there the the um, booster doses. Uh, we we have not uh, any systematic, um, you know, and enough evidence that could point us to the need for booster doses. Um, There is a decline as it is with uh, many different uh, vaccines, Uh, but if you have, like we um, propose in all of our policies on the vaccine specific policies from SAGE, um, a full course of vaccination of any of the WHO vaccines, we do have a good protection and um, if you look at it on the global public health impact at this moment in time uh, we're confident that uh, giving a full course and you have of the vaccines uh, in place um, is is at this point in time it's then more important uh, to be able to uh, vaccinate a larger global population with the vaccines we have rather than expanding to use the, the limited supply of, of doses we have um, in in giving them to already vaccinated populations, uh, so uh, the, it's it's very very important now to think about rethink in those countries who have either started or think about start uh, using uh, booster doses uh, that they do reconsider and think of it in a in a global uh, perspective. Uh, and maybe hold off thinking about this policy change. Sage, our strategic advisor group of experts are definitely looking at any evidence coming through on the need and use for booster doses. But at this point in time, there is no data enough for us to point out the importance of uh, booster doses. Um, And particularly with the limited global supply, it is important to rethink uh, if any country is pondering about increasing and losing uh, uh, booster doses, and instead think of uh, giving that supply or sharing that supply to countries that have not even reached their healthcare workers over.
6: Just to add to what um, Anne said, I, you know, really want to caution um, uh, folks because there is a tendency now for. People in countries with enough availability of vaccines to, you know, voluntarily start thinking about an additional dose, there are there are uh, people who are um, thinking about mixing and matching. Uh, we we receive a lot of queries from people who who say they've taken one and you know they're going to planning to take another one. So it's a, it's a little bit of a dangerous trend here where people are. In, an, we are in a data-free, evidence-free zone as far as a mix and match. There is limited data on mix and match. There are studies going on. We need to wait for that and maybe it will be a very good approach. But at the moment, we only have data on the uh, AZ vaccine, Oxford, AstraZeneca followed by Pfizer. So it, it it will be a chaotic situation in countries if citizens start you know, deciding when and who uh, they should be taking a second or a third or a fourth dose. The The other thing just to add again is if, we are tracking the, the policies in countries. We have four countries that have announced a booster program and a few more that are thinking about it. If 11 high and upper middle income countries decide, some of them are large countries, that they will go for a booster for their populations or even subgroups, this will require an additional 800 million doses of vaccine. And we, we were just, the DG was talking about why we need prioritize doses through COVAX to go to countries where the frontline and healthcare workers have not been vaccinated, and the elderly and the vulnerable. So at this point, when there is no scientific evidence to suggest that boosters are definitely needed, we have seen in some countries an increase in infections, but no significant increase in hospitalization or deaths, and uh, it, it may well be that you need boosters after a year or two years but at this point after six months of the primary dose there doesn't seem to be any indication we will work we'll continue to work with public health agencies around the world who are tracking this data sage is following the evidence very carefully and uh, we will make recommendations on boosters when we think uh, that they are needed it has to be based on the science and the data not on individual companies uh, declaring that, you know, their vaccines should now be uh, administered as a booster dose. Thanks.
8: Um, And just to add, uh, I mean, uh, I think I said uh, at a previous press conference about this been about some people wanting to have their cake and eat it. Well, this goes a bit further. This is people who want to have their cake and eat it, then they make some more cake and they want to eat that as well. Uh, I mean, I think the DG is clear. He's he's, he's not saying that companies should hold off on making a decision whether they do booster doses or, or, or go for all out for vaccinating the most vulnerable. The data is clear. The people who are most vulnerable are dying. The health workers on the front line are unprotected. He is very clearly calling for an all out, no regrets push to get all of our frontline workers in the world and get all of the most vulnerable and our older populations vaccinated so we can take the, the, the awful tragedy out of this pandemic, which is overrun health facilities and people fighting over oxygen puddles and all of the things we see on our TVs every day, the funeral pyres and everything else, and that is possible right now. And he's clearly asking for everyone to take a step back and now recommit themselves to an objective of protecting the most vulnerable protecting those most likely to die, protecting our frontline health workers. That is not to say that boosters will not come into it later on, it is not to say that it's good to, not, it's good to discuss that science and do that research, of course it is. But we need to decide what our priority is and what part of this is a global crisis are we not getting. This is still a global crisis uh, and it is a time to protect those who are most vulnerable in our society. And if we don't do that, and if we move on to, to, to other matters, then I, I think we will be judged. A uh, uh, journalist asked before about the, uh, the mass gathering events. Will we will look back in anger. And I think we will look back in anger and we will look back in shame if we don't now move to use the increasing production capacity that's coming online transferring that technology for even more capacity, using that to protect the most vulnerable, protect our frontline health workers everywhere in the world, take the deaths and the hospitalisations and the ventilators out of this pandemic so we can then have more choices for broader coverage, for broader uh, uh, disease control and for boosters and everything else that comes with it. It's not to say one or the other, it's putting things in a crisis in order. We all do this. In a crisis, you do things in the order that is most beneficial, most life-saving. That's what an emergency is. You can't do everything at one time. You must make choices. And the choice we need to make right now is to go all out with no...
0: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? in that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at luckylandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
8: Greats for a policy that will cover the most vulnerable. That is all the Director General is asking for.
3: Thank you, Dr. Ryan. Next question um, comes from Alejandro Riano. Midwisconsin.com. Uh, uh question will be in Spanish. Uh, Alejandro, please. Alejandro, you need to unmute yourself.
8: Thank you. Sorry. Thank you. Gracias.
4: Thank you very much. In the last few days, uh, we have seen in the United States, there has been an increase in the Delta variant. Uh, it is clear that uh, in the United States uh, there, is a, there are a lot of checks, but uh, there, are a number, there is an increasing number of people who are getting infected. Now, there are people who have been vaccinated but who are now being reinfected with the Delta variant. Is that the case?
3: thank you alejandro the question is about uh, reinfection with delta variants yeah i'll just start
6: with the question on uh, reinfection uh, uh, with the after vaccination and yes uh, there are reports coming in that uh, vaccinated unvaccinated uh, populations you have uh, cases of reinf- uh, of infection of infection uh, particularly with the delta variant um, but the majority of these are mild or asymptomatic infections, and when studies are looking at uh, populations that have been vaccinated and unvaccinated, and looking at hospitalizations or deaths, clearly the, the majority of people who are ending up in hospital are uh, unvaccinated uh, people, including in the in the United States. It's the it's the states where there's less vaccine coverage which are seeing now increasing hospitalizations and uh, with the uh, variants like the delta variant which are highly transmissible uh, this is likely to happen we know that vaccines are not going to protect 100 percent against infection they do confer some protection and different vaccines in the range of 60 70 percent but um, you can get de- you can definitely get infected and pass it on to others and that's why we talk about continuing to wear the masks and do the distancing and take all the precautions even after vaccination Um, But certainly, it reduces your chances of severe hospitalization and death significantly for all the vaccines that the WHO has uh, listed under emergency use, and we will continue to track that. But at this point, uh, yes, we're we're noting infections, but but not noting an increase in hospitalization or deaths among those who have received the full course of vaccination. And it is true that you need two doses of any of the two-dose vaccines to be fully protected against the Delta variant, because you need that high level of antibodies in the blood. Thanks.
2: So I just want to come in and reinforce what Sumi was saying there. So first of all, on the transmissibility of the Delta variant. So the Delta variant is, has been reported in more than 104 countries right now. Uh, and we know this has increased transmissibility above even the other variants of concern and certainly of the ancestral strain. It is circulating. When it has an opportunity to take hold, it will take off if the, if the situation is correct. And we expect this to be the dominant variant uh, circulating globally, um, if it isn't already. Um, the the vaccines, as Sumya has just said, as you've heard us say, the vaccines are incredibly effective against severe disease and death. So when it is your turn, get vaccinated. And if your dose requires two doses, please get those two doses. Um, And I think that's really important. And also to reinforce what Sumya said is that um, people who are vaccinated can get infected, um, but there is some good data that's coming out to show that some of the vaccines actually have an impact on infection asymptomatic infection and transmission. But the main purpose of these vaccines, uh, which are incredibly effective, including against the Delta variant, is to protect against hospitalization and to protect against developing severe disease and death. And we are seeing impacts of the vaccine Um, in populations that have been vaccinated that have received both doses of those vaccines in terms of a reduction in hospitalization and in death. And so this is really important. It is contextual, um, but we do want to make sure that we do keep up these other measures in place um, because uh, we don't have all of the information yet on the impact of vaccination and infection and on transmission. So that's why we recommend a comprehensive approach, continue to adhere to the individual level measures and take this risk-based approach, Um, you know, play it safe, play it smart, uh, reduce your opportunities for exposure because the virus continues to circulate. And until uh, we get control over this virus, we are really going to have to do everything that we can to not only uh, reduce the morbidity and mortality, but to prevent transmission as well.
3: Thank you very much. Next question comes from Indonesia. We have Yuni uh, Salim from uh, Voice of America Indonesia. Yuni? Okay. Can you hear me now? <laughs> right. Thank you. Um, my question is about
4: the Indonesian policy on vac- uh, vaccination. Uh, Indonesian government is etabli- established program that required some Indonesians to pay for new around of vaccination. So, despite some of them are free, give from other country. So, what is um, WHO
5: position on this? Uh,
3: thank you, thank you, Uni. Uh, we will go to maybe to Anne Lindstrand first. Uh, question on uh, vaccination that uh, and the policy of paying for vaccines. Anne, are you with us?
4: and um, yeah, Oops. so sorry.
3: Uh, I, I actually need you to, to repeat the question. I'm so sorry. Uh, the question was that uh, there is a policy in Indonesia that some Indonesians have to pay for the vaccines. So the question was what's the, what's the WHO comment on such policies?
4: Um, so the um, of, of course, to have the most possible impact, it's important that every citizen has the possibility equal possibility to to get access and that any any pavement payment could pose an ethical and access issue, um, and particularly during a pandemic when we actually need the coverage um, and the vaccines to reach all of the most vulnerable. And uh, apart from that, uh, there are uh, COVAX doses, so COVAX um, doses that are delivered through the collaboration with uh, UNICEF, Gavi, U- uh, um, uh, WHO, uh, etc. That we, uh, of course, they have uh, access to vaccines that are for uh, free, up to 20% of the population, funded by. Um, in you know uh, funders of the provax collaboration so which makes it absolutely not possible for for uh, taking payment uh, in its course uh, of course there are other delivery funding um that is uh costing also in the delivery this is the uh, the per diem, the transport, the logistics, the cold chain equipment, etc. But there are available funding for all AMC countries uh, through uh, the development uh, multilateral development banks, the world banks, and now also Open Window with uh, fast accessible funding from the GAVI uh, uh, COVAX delivery support and so there should not be so much funding. The important here is that everyone has the right uh, and should have equal right and access to these vaccines independent of uh, financial issues. Thank you.
8: uh, Just to add, I mean, Indonesia is is going through uh, a very intense phase of increased uh, transmission over the last number of weeks. In fact, in in, in Southeast Asia, it's has uh, nearly exceeded the the daily death count that India has, and. Uh, will probably soon exceed its daily incidence. so uh, we've seen a 44 percent increase in cases over the last week and a 71 percent increase in deaths. So there is no question that Indonesia is facing a very difficult situation, and I know the Director-General, Dr. Tedros, had meetings with senior officials from Indonesia last week to discuss the situation and see what more could be done to support Indonesia in this regard. But again, clearly, uh, those increases in in cases driven uh, by, by variants are now resulting in in large numbers of daily deaths. Many of those deaths, again, are occurring in vulnerable people, in people who are older, in people with underlying conditions. And again, you're talking now 6,000 deaths a day in in Indonesia. We should be much further ahead with vaccination there. Indonesia should have had much more access to vaccines uh, through uh, initiatives uh, like COVAX. Uh, So again, I think it makes the point that... uh, uh, free vaccination a point of access uh, in mass vaccination campaigns to vaccinate the most vulnerable to vaccinate frontline health workers was the plan Um, uh, unfortunately that is not how uh, this is working out Uh, and again we're seeing hundreds thousands of people being infected and more importantly people being hospitalized and died who uh, could and should have been protected thus far in this pandemic.
3: Thank you, Dr. Lindstrand and uh, Dr. Ryan. Uh, let's go to Carmen from Politico. Carmen?
4: Yes, hi. Thank you so much for giving me the floor. Um, it's a bit um, following the questions
6: on boosters. So today, Gavi announced um, the two advanced purchase agreements with, uh, for Sinopharm oh. and Sinovac vaccines. At the same time, we've seen countries that use them, um, from Thailand to I- Indonesia included, announcing booster shots of other vaccines amid concerns that um, the two vaccines maybe don't perform so well against the Delta variant. Um, I was wondering if the WHO is in any way concerned about people potentially being hesitant to take these vaccines amid news that they might actually need boosters of other vaccines down the road. Thank you. Thank you for that question. I can start and uh, I might want to supplement Um, So, it's very important um, that, you know, we should look at the data and not go by perceptions. Uh, We're happy that uh, the COVAX facility now has access to two more vaccines, the Sinopharm and the Sinovac that was announced today, and and also the fact that we're going to see uh, these doses flowing into uh, the COVAX facility starting from July, and I think we have something like 100 million doses coming, uh, or just over 100 million. Um, committed uh, between July, August, and September, and these doses are you know, very much needed now for many countries that are waiting for vaccines. I think the largest study to date of the vaccine effectiveness of the Sinovac, uh, or what's called Coronavac, in, is in Chile. And this paper was published a few days ago in the New England Journal, where they followed a cohort of 10 million people, just over 10 million, so it's a large number of people and showed a, a well done study of course it was an observational study designed but very thoroughly uh, done with a very good uh, statistical design and data that showed that the uh, sinovac was a, was about 87% effective against hospitalization 90% against severe disease and 86.3% against deaths so it shows very high efficacy especially against the severe forms uh, of the disease, and it was about sixty six percent effective against symptomatic infection, so again, in the range of you know what we've been expecting, um, we are tracking also the data uh, from Sinopharm. we' are in we're in touch with the Chinese authorities as well to provide any additional data that they've also committed to providing the companies have committed uh, any company that receives an emergency use listing is uh, is expected to provide additional data as as uh, time goes on and at any point if we have concerns with the efficacy of these vaccines we would definitely make that uh, that known so at this point i think we're confident and again going by anecdotal reports when we look at some of these countries they vaccinated you know hundreds of thousands of people and then they're reporting a few hundred infections so we have to look at the denominator the numerator the and then come to these uh, conclusions but uh, we, we are tracking all vaccine uh, uh, both through their efficacy trials and the follow-up effectiveness studies. Um, Anne, mm-hmm. do you want to add anything to this?
4: Um, no, just wanting to say that uh, for both Sinopharm and Sinovac, um, the strategic advisory group of experts have looked at all the uh, possible evidence, and, and, uh, and as well as WHO, UL have approved and now it's part of the COVAX um, portfolio, which is is, is very is, is very good. Uh, you must be mindful also about the way the studies and uh, has been done. Uh, studies on breakthrough infections need to be defined as um, any infection coming at least two weeks after the second dose. And, um, and uh, as Dr. Sumir was saying, some of these informations are spreading that you get infected after the first dose or not a long time enough after the immunity has been able to build up. And so um, we should look at the uh, well-done studies and the evidence that we have. Um, And um, no vaccines are 100% effective. There will be cases in vaccinated populations in any vaccine that are being used. There are no 100% use effective vaccines. Uh, so this is also expected. Um, we need to have more big cohort studies as the one in Chile to follow up. And we have produced guidance on how to do effectiveness studies and impact uh, studies in a good qualitative way uh, that can be accessed and we're encouraging all countries to use that guidance uh, because we do need to follow um, the post-implementation and um, uh, studies very thoroughly to be able to um, follow and know the, the, the data. And um, again, I just want to reiterate that need for booster doses is is not anything that so far the evidence collectively is telling us that we need and uh, not for these vaccines and not for um, anyone else. And as Mark Ryan will say, be mindful um, of not uh, increasing the use of, or starting to use of booster doses uh, when the supply is such in shortage. Um, so that is not at the moment what the evidence is telling us. Thank you.
3: Many thanks. Uh, we are coming close to the hour, so we'll take uh, one last question from our uh, colleague here in Geneva, Catherine uh, Fiancambo Conga. Catherine. Yes,
4: thank you. Thank you so much. Um, Um, Thank you so much for giving me the floor. I would like to come back um, on on the eventual frustration uh, that you, uh, all experts, that we have there um, about the risk management. How do you think it is possible to increase a stronger global political will? Because um, the decisions are taken by the political leaders in in the countries, so what do you think uh, could be done uh, to make them show more solidarity and follow um, the, the results on science results
8: um, That's a very broad question, but certainly in relation to vaccine equity if we take that as a prime example uh, people are talking the right talk uh, If you listen, there have been some very laudable statements made by the G7, by the G20, by the EU, by everyone. Everyone's talking the right talk. Everyone's saying, isn't it terrible and we need to do more? And that's fine. But there's a massive gap between that rhetoric and the actual reality of vaccine sharing and vaccine distribution. And we've got to close the gap between the rhetoric and the reality. Uh, The DG... We'll be speaking to the emergency committee of WHO uh, on Wednesday. And then we'll, as he said, subsequently be speaking to public and private sectors again with the head of the World Trade Organization.
5: With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
8: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
5: Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time.
0: No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
8: I think early next week, Chief, uh, WHO and Dr. Tedros can only continue to reach out, to engage, to convene, to convince, to persuade. Uh, we're not a bank. We don't have the money. Uh, but we have, a, we have a voice and we have a mandate, and this organization has been using its voice again and again every single day where it can, bringing together, attending, convening, uh, asking, begging, cajoling, demanding. Uh, but I think you'll hear our voice is getting more and more strident because now we really are entering this two-phase pandemic, this, this two-tier pandemic, and those, uh, that difference will become counted in, in, in unfortunately, an avoidable debt, uh, uh, and, and that's something that it should concern us all. Uh, we need an all-out, uh, no regrets policy. With regard to the broader measures, it is hard for everyone to sustain individual measures without government support. Making it just my responsibility to protect myself is fine. I do need to protect myself, and I have a responsibility to myself. I have a responsibility to my family and my co-workers to do what I can not to become a source of infection uh, and to do what I can to protect others. But governments must continue to support people in doing that. And that may mean in in facilitating that through basic rules around social mixing, basic rules around gatherings, uh, provision of uh, masks, and and just the the organisation of everything from public transport to make it easy for people to comply with those measures. Um, And uh, so we don't want to end up, I think, in a situation where governments just pass all of the responsibility from reducing transmission to people, individuals, and say, all right, it's your problem now. You you become responsible uh, singularly for preventing transmission. People do need to take responsibility, all of us as individuals, but it is a contract, a social contract and a sacred contract between government and communities to work together to collectively reduce the chance that the disease will transmit. Nobody wants to go back into swinging lockdowns. In fact, WHO has never been one to advise or to drive the idea of lockdowns. We've always talked about social mixing, social distance. We've talked about the context in which transmission can occur. Uh, We've talked about uh, uh, crowds indoors. We've talked about ventilation. We've talked about distancing. We've talked about masks. We've talked about hand washing. We've talked about those measures that can reduce the risk of transmission. They don't necessarily stop it, but what they do is they reduce the risk of transmission, especially in the context of these variants, which are more highly transmissible. And what we've seen is vaccines are not perfectly effective at preventing transmission. They're highly effective at preventing hospitalisation and death. And it is our view that the two measures together, public health and social measures, individual measures and vaccination working together, can keep this disease at some level of control without having to revert to these um, restrictive and destructive uh, lockdowns. But our fear in this is if we rely purely on a vaccination policy, when there are no vaccines for many countries, then we could easily end up back in a situation where countries have no, no alternative but to lockdown, because once you've seen it again and again, once hospitals fill to the critical level, once we see those images, governments are left with no option but to shut society down to take the pressure off the health system. How many times have you seen it yourselves, in your own countries or in other countries? It's almost like a switch. Once the health system collapses, society has to shut down to take the pressure off the health system. And we're heading back towards health system collapse in a number of countries. And those countries who already have reasonable levels of vaccination, please, don't have a false sense of security. You can end up right back in that same situation, because given the transmissibility, particularly of the Delta strain, it is going to seek out those unvaccinated, unprotected, vulnerable people, and it may put them back in hospital or may put them in need of intensive care. So what we need is to refocus on keeping control of this disease we may not be able to eradicate it or eliminate it, but keep in control until we raise vaccination levels all over the world, and then we may need boosters. We may need second or third generation vaccines. Uh may speak to that. We may not have the perfect vaccines in this generation of vaccines. But what we need to do is give every country and everybody a fighting chance to get through this pandemic. And right now, we're condemning hundreds of millions of people to having no protection. Uh, and that's something that WHO really cannot stand over.
2: I just want to comment on that as well, because I think in, in addition to what Mike said, which I wholeheartedly agree with, I mean, there's a there's a sense of this solidarity that we don't see. I mean, the DG's talked about it since day one, even before that. If you look at any videos that he's talked about, about the possibility of an epidemic or a pandemic, solidarity was in his speeches there and in, in every essence of how he speaks. Um, and we just, I don't know if we have this, we're actually all in this together. Um, I think for the most part, everyone feels that way. But what we're seeing with this two track, with these two tracks of the haves and the have-nots is that many are, are going back to normal, going back to um, the way that it was. And, and in some respects, given the uncertainty of the situation that we're in globally, given the global circulation and the interconnected world that we live in, we don't have exact certainty of how this virus is going to behave. It is continuing to evolve and it will continue to evolve the more that it circulates. So that sense of security that some may have may be a false sense of security until we are actually all out of this together. And as Mike has said, and as you've heard us say, until we can get vaccine coverage high enough in all country prioritizing those who are most at risk first, driving transmission down with the other tools that we have, you will hear the frustration in our voice. I think the frustration that comes from me is we have the tools, we have the plan, why aren't we doing it? And that's the real question. It isn't a simple question because there are real fundamental reasons of why. And I think that's where we need a lot more research and to understand what are the barriers to actually carry out these activities. None of us want lockdowns. All of us wanna see our families and go on holiday and do all of that. Um, but until we can get control over this virus, um, we're, gonna have a, we're gonna be challenged to be able to do so. And there will be a risk in all of us carrying out those different activities, so uh, we do need a global commitment. Um, we see it from so many, and we are so grateful. And I do want to shout out to our scientists around the world, who are working day in and day out. Part of my frustration in my tweet was that you know so many people are working so hard um, to really better understand this virus and to learn how can we adapt going forward with these public health and social measures, with the vaccine coverage that we have, with production levels as they are and will change, how do we use that to adapt the the global strategy going forward to drive that transmission down and to save people from unnecessarily dying? So I think you will hear some frustration in our voices, but our frustration is turned into action. Um, And we're grateful for so many of our partners, for our member states, for our regional offices, for our country offices, who are working day in and day out to end this pandemic.
3: Thank you very much. Uh, we will conclude uh, this press briefing uh, on this uh, note. We will send a uh, audio file a little bit later and transcript will be posted tomorrow morning. Last word for Dr. Tedros.
1: Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Tariq. Um, Mike um, and Maria have said it beautifully, but I just wanted to add um, about solidarity. Uh, and thank you, Catherine, for asking that question. We have been saying it. and we will continue saying the importance of solidarity. Um, As you know, self-interest is natural. And as Mike said, you know, nobody can be blamed for taking care of himself or herself. But there is, in addition to self-interest, there is what we call enlightened self-interest. So what the is asking is for enlightened self-interest. Because when we share the vaccines, we are actually the one who is sharing is helping himself or herself. Because through sharing, or through having vaccines in, you know uh, throughout the world, the advantage is the pandemic will stop, meaning the whole world is sick and tired. Um, and everybody wants to the world to really open up. So ending the pandemic is really key. And with that comes opening up the economy, meaning the recovery could also be faster. Um, because when we end the pandemic, everywhere, we will not have viruses that will continue to circulate. Of course, it could be to a manageable level. I'm not saying it will be zero. I'm not talking about elimination. But at least, um, you know, doses will significantly decline. Um, Hospitalizations will significantly decline. Health systems can manage uh, whatever um, cases uh, we may have. So it can bring it to an end. I mean, the um, you know, lockdowns, the um, um, you know the um, other related problems we are, we we're we facing. So those who have better access to vaccines, when they share it with others who don't have uh, access to vaccines, they're doing it for themselves. So that's one one thing that uh, for many of us in WHO which is a puzzle because why is the world not doing something that is actually in its uh, own interest? Um, So that's uh, the uh, uh, problem. Um, And then when you see the extremes that uh, actually is very, very disappointing. When I say the extremes, while many countries haven't even started vaccinating and another country has already vaccinated majority of its population, the two doses, and now moving to a third dose, which is the booster, it's it, it really uh, not only disappointing, it's um, um, seriously disappointing. Um, it, it doesn't even make any sense, makes no, no sense. And then the other part is when we say share, it's not like giving it for free. I can bring you a long list of countries who are saying we have money, where can we buy the vaccines? Just give us the vaccines, we can pay for it. Many countries do that because they're sick and tired of all the lockdowns and all the, um, their population are going through. So when, I, when we say share, maybe one thing we haven't clarified is majority of countries, a big proportion actually, can pay, but they don't have the vaccine. So to address this problem then, Okay, if it's a vaccine uh, equity, a vaccine uh, volume issue, a production issue, we believe that the world has the means to increase production quickly. What we lack is, and we have said it many times uh, from WHO, the global leadership. Countries are giving some donations, maybe one country this much, the other country this much. But as a G20 who have most of the manufacturing capacity are not leading as one and may not focus on G20 only. The G20 countries can also invite others and it could be G20 plus. But those who are owning most of the manufacturing capacity can work together to increase production, increase the pie, and then there will be enough for others to share. And even to the manufacturing industry, what we're proposing is do like what AstraZeneca is doing. AstraZeneca started in Europe, has production in India, and it has also in Korea. Now new additions are Australia and and Japan, and that is expanding to other countries also in Africa. And if all the vaccines could do that, the volume could increase. So if it is, if, um, the, um, if AstraZeneca does it, why can't others? And if there is a need for a global leadership and the G20 is the best arrangement to do this, why can't the G20 take the responsibility to lead? We can remind, we can advise, but everybody knows where the capabilities are. It's in countries who have the means, who have the production capacity, who have the economic power. And finally, one thing that's worrying us now is even the worst, It's becoming a two-tier system, and high-income countries who are vaccinating their population significantly are starting to see COVID-19 pandemic as if it's not their problem. That is dangerous. You have seen it, and everybody is seeing it now. High-income countries are starting to say, we have managed to control it. It's not our problem. And there will be two problems on this. One, I'm not sure if they're out of the woods, and I don't think they're in control because of the delta strain and others that may evolve. I don't think so. But the other problem is, when they say that the problem is not affecting us anymore, meaning the rest of the world will be ignored. Because if, it, if you don't assume that it's your problem, then you will not be motivated to do your best, to address it. So the two-tier system is worrying us now. The two-tier pandemic is worrying us because of these two things. One, it's risky to those people who think that they are okay, And second, they will ignore the rest of the world and will give a chance to this virus to to continue to circulate. And the meaning prolonging prolonging the agony of this world and prolonging the hostage drama by the virus. We've taken hostage the whole world. It's prolonging it. And I'm sorry sorry to say it, but if solidarity is not working, if there is one one word that can explain it, I'm sorry to say this, but I think anybody can see that it's greed. And let's give it its name. And we're saying it again and again, and we need a listening ear. And this is for, your, for our own sake. And nobody is out of the woods yet. And please, please, especially those who have the means, it can be done. If we do it as aggressively as possible, vaccines can be produced enough and the world can, can be opened up. In a few months, it can open up. People asking me a question well, just one question. When is this pandemic going to end? I say to them, it's in our hands. We can end it very soon. We can end it very soon because we have the tools now. Thank you, Tariq.
0: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Thank you for listening today. And thank you for supporting us with our sponsors. Please go to depictions.media for more information. And click on our contact link and let us know how we can help, how we can help bring your story and help bring us to a better world. That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This show has been produced by Depictions Media. Please contact us at depictions.media for more information.